Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Yogurt. Crammed with good bacteria is the star of gut-friendly foods and it's all because of the way it's produced. Packed full of gut-healthy bacteria, we now know just how much the trillions of microorganisms that live in our guts contributes to our mental and physical health. Gut health is now strongly linked to our overall well-being and is now widely recognized for its beneficial effects on mood, motivation, and cognition. Lovingly made in Somerset, Yo Valley's super-thick kerned natural yogurt is high in protein, low in sugar, and available in 5% and 0% fat. To find out more, head to yovalley.co.uk and find it in your local supermarket. Hello, and thank you so much for tuning in to Food for Thought, a podcast on a mission to equip you all with the evidence-based advice you need to live and breathe a healthy lifestyle. I'm Rhiannon Lambert, registered nutritionist, best-selling author of Renourish, A Simple Way to Eat Well, and founder of Retrition, London's leading private nutrition clinic. In each episode, I'm so lucky to be joined by special guests, all of whom can be considered authoritative voices in health, so that together we can learn fact from fiction and empower the healthiest and happiest versions of ourselves with the trusted expert advice. For years, we've been told fat is bad and that we all need to reduce the amount we consume, especially when it comes to saturated and trans fats. However, recent campaigns have switched from demonising fat to making sugar the culprit of weight gain. So consequently, with so many people waiting in on the topic and there being an excess of information available, finding the answers to what really makes you fat can be a significant challenge public health messages have become more confusing than ever, and it can be difficult to understand exactly what the causes are for becoming overweight and what are the best ways to achieve weight loss. So here to help us find out if fat really does make us fat is Wendy Hall, who is a registered nutritionist and the Nutrition Society's theme leader in whole body metabolism. Hello, Wendy. Hello. Hello. Uh, thank you so much for taking the time to come on the podcast today. It's a pleasure. Thank oh. you for inviting me. No, well, we're very lucky to have you. I think we should start by inviting everyone listening to understand, I think, exactly what fats are, what they're made up of, um, because I think it's quite hard to understand, you know, and implement behaviour changes if you don't really understand what the different types are. Um, so fats are a macronutrient and they provide energy in the diet. Um, same as protein and carbohydrate. They are um, different to protein and carbohydrate in that they are actually contain more energy um, per gram. Um, so they have nine calories per gram, whereas protein and carbohydrate are four calories per gram. Um, but it's a general term to cover basically fatty acids and the main form that they're found in the diet in the form of triglycerides. And that just means the tri means that there's three fatty acids 
and they are bound to a glycerol uh, molecule. And that's the main form that they're found in, in the food and also the main form in which they're stored in the body. Oh, this brings me back to biochemistry days at university. And <laughs> I, re- I remember trying to learn all of these complicated words like triglycerides. But you're right, just think of it as tri as the number three. Yep. And then you've got your glycerol. So if that's the fats we find in the body, whatever different kinds, because I think for people to understand, we've got, they will have heard of mono or polyunsaturated fatty acids. Could we break those down a little bit? Yes. So we we often hear about saturated fats, but what we're really meaning is saturated fatty acids Mm. um, because um, those are one of the types of fatty acids that you can get. So you can get saturated fatty acids, and unsaturated fatty acids. And then the two types of unsaturated uh, fatty acids are monounsaturated fatty acids and polyunsaturated. Yeah, that reminds me, the mono meaning one. Yeah. And poly meaning many. Yes. Yes. And so it just refers to the structure of the fatty acids. So saturated fatty acids are, um, if you look at them, they're a straight chain um, of carbons with hydrogens attached. And... um, they are completely saturated, hence the name, with hydrogen uh, molecules. Um, so there are no double bonds in the chain, which makes them straight, which actually then leads to their property of being quite tightly packed and um, being solid, tend to be solid at room temperature. Like a butter. Yes. Yeah. Yes, I think that's yeah. a good example for people. Or coconut oil even as well, I think is quite a good example of a saturated fat because yeah. if anyone's got it at the home, in the jar, on the corner, they'll know if it's quite liquid when it gets a little bit warm. Yes. And I often get asked about fats in people's diets, but it's actually important to have some, isn't it? Because I think a lot of people are under the misconception that they just have to cut it all out completely. It's just, I'm going to use the word bad, and I don't like describing foods as good or bad, but there's a misconception fats are bad. Yes, I mean it's it's not a very helpful way to think about food or the the nutrients in our diet, and um, we do need fat in the diet. It's very important for many functions in the body, um, most importantly as an energy source, and so that we can actually store the energy for when we need it, um, and it insulates the organs mm-hmm. and um, helps with temperature regulation. And then the individual fatty, has, fatty acids can have specific important functions in the body as well. Yeah. So um, we also need fat in the diet to help absorb certain nutrients we need, such as fat-soluble vitamins. Yep. A, D, E and K. That's right, yeah. In my head, like a, <laughs> <laughs> some remembered. kind of poem. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and that, that's so many functions that I think people just don't really they don't really think about do they because these and then you've got let's start with essential fatty acids so what are they and why do we need them so essential fatty acids are called essential because we can't synthesize them in our own bodies so we have to get them from the diet Mm. and they're essential because if we don't get them from the diet then we can become deficient in those fatty acids which could eventually cause um, symptoms um, such as um, poor skin health or hair falling out or very rarely worse symptoms. Um, in, in actual fact, you know, it's very rare to actually have essential fatty acid deficiency. That's good to um, know. <laughs> but the two fatty acids that are essential are linoleic acid, which is an omega-6 polyunsaturated fatty acid, and also um, alpha-linolenic acid, which is an omega-3 
polyunsaturated fatty acid. And that's ALA, I always abbreviate because you've done a very good job at saying the words out loud there, but um, that's our plant-based form mainly, isn't it, ALA? Yes, yes. So it's omega-3, but it's um, plant-derived, not um, marine-derived. So those those fatty acids are also really important in our diet. So the longer chain omega-3 polyunsaturated fatty acids are, um, I can give you the long names. No, go for I like the long names. And then we'll do the abbreviations. So you guys okay. at home may have heard of the abbreviations. So it's icosapentaenoic acid, which is EPA, and icosahexaenoic acid, which is DHA. Wonderful. And they're what people will see on their supplement jars if they have any omega-3 type yes. EPA, DHA. Yes. And actually, alpha-linolenic acid can be converted in the body to... EPA. Um, And then to a very limited extent, EPA can be converted to DHA. Um, So that's why EPA and DHA are not, um, strictly speaking, essential fatty acids, because we can make them in the body as long as we've got alpha-linolenic acid. Yeah. Um, But um, it's still recommended that we get EPA and DHA from the diet, um, i.e. by eating fish, um, mainly. Um, because they are also important for health. I mean, this is something I see a lot with the rise of plant-based diets now especially. Um, I think the education around fats is extremely important as well because, as you've quite rightly mentioned, it takes a lot longer for a plant-based source like an ALA, let's say, from um, what's a good source of ALA, an avocado or... Um, Walnuts. Walnuts, there you go. Um, Different nuts in the body to actually be converted. It's quite a long process to get to that EPA and then that DHA. Mm. And obviously, oily fish, if you don't eat oily fish, which is one of the best sources we can get in the UK of DHA, yeah. um, we need to be really clued up. I remember my um, my lecturer at university a long time ago, Simon Dial, Professor Simon Dial, talking about omega 3s and the importance in even brain health. Mm. Yeah. So, is there a lot of research there as well? Um, well, the, the brain is actually very concentrated in DHA compared to other tissues in the body. So that's a clear indicator that DHA is essential for brain function yeah. um, and neural signaling. And um, it's also very important in anti-inflammatory pathways. And it's a precursor for many other signaling molecules that are required um, for for function of the, of the brain and other tissues. Um, and yes, it's very important in the development of the um, the, the fetus in, in their brain um, and nerve tissue as well to have yeah. uh, sufficient DHA. The recommendations are for women of childbearing age to have two portions of fish per week, one of which is oily. Mm. But because also oily fish can um, concentrate pollutants that are in the sea, that's why there's that upper limit. Yeah. Um, but then um, postmenopause and men, um, then the recommendations are, you know, two to four portions of fish per week. Yeah, which is actually very important to remember. If we're also talking about menopausal symptoms, the type of fats can be extremely beneficial. I was actually looking at soy yesterday as well and different it's isoflavones and yeah, the yeah. benefits for that sort of thing. And I think the diet is so often overlooked. It's just such an essential part of our, our overall health. Obviously, you spend day in, day out discussing this sort of thing. But they're a good source of energy. Let's touch on that a little mm. bit. Because when people hear fat, their goal is just, I don't want it. I want to get rid of it. I don't want it on me anywhere. Because I think they just assume 
that we're talking about adipose tissue, perhaps. Hmm. So when we say it's a good form of energy, and I, you know, is it that people have too much of it, perhaps, or is it still something we need to be focusing on having as an energy source? I think we need to focus less on the amount of fat and more the quality of the foods that we're eating. Um, so, for example, um, a moderate fat diet we know is is beneficial for health. There's absolutely no evidence that a low fat diet is um, any better for health than a moderate fat diet. When you get to very high fat intakes, then of course it becomes a bit more difficult to um, to keep a balance between energy intake and, and energy expenditure. And so this is more of an issue if if you are um, aware that you need to um, be careful with your weight mm. um, and um, or if you know that you need to go on a weight reducing um, diet. So um, then it is easier to control the energy intake compared to your energy expenditure if you're consuming low fat foods. So they can be useful in that point of view. But if you're replacing the foods you'd normally have with foods that are not nutrient dense um, and don't contain things like fiber, um, then it's probably not going to be having a net beneficial effect for your health. Mm. So um, we shouldn't really shy away from um, foods that we know are rich in fat that are whole foods such as nuts or avocados or seeds. And we should be looking to make our cooking, including our cooking, um, healthy um, seed oil, seed oils like rapeseed oil, for example, or olive oil, mm. um, because that makes the food nicer and more palatable. And that's what it's all about, really, isn't it? Enjoying our food. I love that you've said that a hundred percent. You've raised some really, really good points there, actually. And I think a lot of people still believe that, you know, fat makes us fat. Mm. And even on the flip side, why low fat still perhaps recommended in some guidelines is because, as you quite rightly say, it's a bit easier for people to stick to when it comes to their energy and energy out. But how does the body process and store fat? Well, so the fat in our foods, as I mentioned, is in this form of triglycerides. Um, so once we've consumed it, then it needs to be digested. And actually, um, it gets these um, triglycerides, they get broken down by enzymes and then they're absorbed as fatty acids. Mm. And then the fatty acids in the intestine then get repackaged as triglycerides into these spherical particles made of fats and, and proteins called chylomicrons. And then the chylomicrons go circulating around the bloodstream and they deliver the fatty acids to the tissues that, that, that are required. Oh, it's incredible. I find the human body fascinating. It's coming back to me, all of my old lectures. <laughs> I can see the diagrams now of the body and the different transportation routes around. And I think um, another thing that our listeners will probably want to know is that you often hear, and I think this is actually in the fitness industry especially, where this perhaps isn't conveyed in the right way, that if you eat excess of the other macronutrients, of proteins and carbohydrates, that they are immediately stored to fats. Um, could you touch on that a little bit? Yes. Um, so if you eat really very high amounts of protein, then um, eventually the amino acids, if they can't be taken up into the muscle and there's a limit um, for the other routes of disposal, then some of it will end up getting into um, the biochemical pathways 
um, well converted to fat mm. um, and excess carbohydrate as well in the diet um, can be converted to fat as well um, yeah. and it can be it can be um, particularly stored in the liver and and that might then lead to higher levels of some types of cholesterol that can increase risk yeah. of um, vascular disease. I mean, we had a wonderful um, episode on cardiovascular health um, previously, and it was absolutely fascinating. I think one thing is also to keep remembering those two cues to all of our listeners. We say it a lot, but the quality and the quantity, and this applies um, quite rightly, as Wendy said, to your fats. The quality is so important, but also the quantity of what you eat. But what about the flip side? What happens in your body if you don't get enough, is there an indicator to look out for if you don't get enough fats? Um, for most people, the, that won't really be an issue. Um, it's more of, it's more of um, an issue in um, uh, developing countries where there is other m- problems with malnutrition. Um, but if you were, if you did have a deficiency in the essential fatty acids, you would have dry scaly skin and maybe some hair loss and um, mm. maybe um, have trouble fighting off infections. What about, um, I think of females particularly, um, amenorrhea or um, you know, loss of periods, um, hormones, is there anything there? Um, well, if the if the body fat stores go beyond, below a certain point, if they get very low, then yes, that switches off that normal process and and it can cause amenorrhea if it goes on for a prolonged period of time yeah Yeah. there's so many different side effects and we often hear a lot in the media um about avoiding fat but there's there's rarely anyone positively speaking about it in the right way i think at Mm. one point the message of how avocados were wonderful suddenly everyone was over consuming perhaps an avocado they were having ridiculous Mm. amount of portions and i see it a lot in the nutrition clinic Mm. but i think it is confusing so is saturated fat, now this is the very confusing bit at the moment in the media, is it bad for us? Well, the overwhelming evidence is we need to limit the intake of saturated fats. So we're talking about saturated fats, we're talking about foods that have a mixture of saturated fatty acids in them, and they all have a different profile. But because we can't know exactly what how much of each saturated fatty acid is in different foods. We talk about foods high in saturated fats. So these are meats, um, meats that have got the fat on. Um, dairy is high in saturated fat. And um, and then we've got the whole, what forms a big proportion of a lot of people's intake of saturated fat um, is uh, processed cereal-based foods. So things like cakes, biscuits, mm. pastry. All the lovely, um, tasty things. Yes, those <laughs> sort of things. And, of course, those things don't have an awful lot else going for them in terms of they're not nutrient-dense and they, they rarely are a source of fibre. Mm. Um, so um, probably in terms of limiting saturated fats, those would be the main targets to look at um, and replacing those foods with healthier alternatives. Um we can also look at meat and look at um, having leaner cuts of meat and, and go for lean types of meat. So, um, so perhaps swapping your pork for chicken or something like that for those that eat meat. Yeah, yeah. And um, I mean, the, the average the, the average intake in the UK has consistently 
sort of exceeded recommendations for intakes of saturated fat um, by about three three percent of energy, which doesn't sound much, but um, it could actually have a real difference on sort of average um, risk of coronary heart disease, for example. Right. So, um, it, of just a few changes in their diet, like replacing those sorts of um, foods that are tend to be high in, um, they're actually plant oils often in in biscuits and cakes mm. and pastries um, and they're, they're um, quite often palm oil based and they're rich in a saturated fatty acid called palmitic acid and you know we do know there's there's clear evidence that palmitic acid and other saturated fatty acids such as um, lauric and myristic acids um, will raise LDL cholesterol and then there's a very clear link between higher levels of LDL cholesterol and atherosclerosis progression and risk of death from um, coronary heart disease or coronary heart disease events. Yeah, so that LDL cholesterol, um, if you do have a listen back, um, the low-density lipoprotein is something that we refer to again. We have a lot of referring to good and bad, but we refer to it as the bad type of cholesterol. You definitely don't you don't want raised. But it's all those, I think palm oil is something that's very difficult to avoid at the moment. All these hidden little things in the products, especially the heavily processed or highly processed items that you've mentioned that... Are there also links, um, my mind's going into overdrive of questions to ask you, but between saturated fats and cancers? Um, there's no evidence really for any link between intake of saturated fats and cancers, no. That's good. Yeah. And that's really important to raise. So I get a lot of questions about cancers and diets, unfortunately. I think there's a lot of scaremongering on the internet as well. Mm. And Wendy isn't saying you can't eat these items. Again, we're just saying mm. be mindful be mindful of your intake. So we want to get a lot more of, let's say, the what we're going to call the the good fats again, yes, those yeah. lovely monounsaturated and polyunsaturated ones in the diet and a little bit less of the the saturated fats. I mean, I think I saw something as well that we've, re- we've changed the government guidelines now to is it 10% of overall saturated fat content from 11? It's gone down a a percentage? No, it's said the same. It's just you can you can um, present it either as percentage of total energy yes. or total or f- just food energy. Right. So it's whether or not you bring alcohol into the <laughs> into the equation. Yes, we'll go yeah. on to alcohol. Uh, <laughs> an, uh, another point, I think, definitely. But I think at first, when we're advised to kind of reduce, if we touch on dairy as an example, mm. a lot of people talk about well, get full fat dairy because it's a better option. Perhaps it contains more nutrients. There's been this debate. Yeah. At the moment. So that's quite confusing for our listeners probably to hear that dairy is a saturated fat source. Yeah, it's a really interesting area of research that's still going on at the moment. So there's absolutely no clear answers at the moment. And the official guidance is still to choose lower fat dairy options. Mm. Um, and that will be beneficial in that you'll still get all the the, um, the nutrients in dairy foods um, and, and the benefit of the fermented dairy foods as well. Um, and a very good source of protein and calcium. Yeah, tons of um, vitamins and minerals in dairy, isn't there? Yes, Just tons. Yeah, but you will, you will. It will be easier to um, maintain a healthy body weight, for example. Yeah. Um, but actually, the the when you actually look at the evidence, um, it's it's quite mixed, and there's some analyses coming out from mainly observational studies. So you're looking at populations and drawing correlations or mm. associations between dietary patterns and um, and observed rates of disease or for example 
Um, there's some evidence that certain foods like cheese and yogurt might be protective and beneficial yeah. for coronary heart disease, like for example, Greek yogurt and diabetes. Yeah, heavily yeah. researched as being beneficial. Yeah. And there's no real clear steer towards full fat or low fat in terms of that. So if you really enjoy full <laughs> fat, you know. Um, oh, I love my then... full fat Greek yogurt. That's the thing. <laughs> yeah, I, I think. Always um, in moderation. <laughs> exa- exactly. And I actually find if I eat the item I really enjoy anyway, I end up eating less of it because I'm more fulfilled more quickly. So mm. Mm. it's such an interesting topic, as always, with science and research. This is one to watch, isn't it? Yes. I mean, that is really interesting. It's, it's, it, it returns to the the message from before that we should be looking at the whole foods because with dairy foods, it it seems to be that it's the actual structure of the foods as well that's important that affects, you know, the body's response to the nutrients within it. Mm-hmm. So, um, uh, you know, I find it fascinating. So. Yeah, no, of course mm-hmm. you do. That's why you're, you're researching such mm-hmm. wonderful areas. If we touch on one fat, I'm sure everyone listening's heard of trans fats. Yeah. Okay, so <laughs> this brings me back to those. Again, everything's bringing me back to my lecture university days. But can we explain, first of all, what a trans fat is and what effect it has on the body and why we've chosen in the UK to try and minimise these? Yeah, well, um, trans fat is a trans fatty acid is basically a monounsaturated fatty acid where the structure has been altered slightly. And um, so instead of a cis structure, there's a trans structure and they can occur naturally actually so they are found in foods from ruminants so cattle sheep for example and they but the the main health issue was from the industrially um, produced trans fats trans fatty acids and these were um, brought about because um, initially the food industry were trying to find a way to replace the more traditional sources of hard fats. So if you want to make pastry, for example, you can't use an oil because it won't work. Mm. You need some sort of hard fat that has the right functional properties. Um, So they... um, you could use lard, but we know that that's going to raise LDL mm. cholesterol. Gosh, that goes back to my grandma <laughs> days, I think, with yeah. my nan. <laughs> so trans fats were brought in because they had they 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 had that sort of functionality, and they thought at the time it would be better for you. But then, obviously, all this evidence came out, and um, of all the fats, it has the uh, the biggest risk profile. So um, higher intakes of trans fats have been shown to increase LDL cholesterol. But also, which is the good, the, the bad cholesterol, but also to lower the good cholesterol as well, which is the HDL cholesterol, um, and they can also cause inflammation, and they're they're associated with uh, increased um, coronary heart disease risk. So um, it became clear that uh, we really shouldn't be having these in our foods, and um, and now the uh, the UK has taken steps to. Um, to work with the food industry in reformulating their products so that the trans fats are no longer used and they've found other functional alternative fats that can be used instead. They haven't gone back to lard. No, no. <laughs> but they've found other fats that can also have the same properties and yeah. um, still make nice croissants and pastries and biscuits and 
have yeah, the right the texture. Things. I remember when I think it was MS did a big thing about it a few several years ago, actually. Time is going fast. I remember them talking about it in the media. And actually, mm. I've got a statistic here that in 2018, the US actually put a nationwide ban on trans fats. So, yeah, we, we're headed that recent. way. Yeah, that is recent. Mm. So, do we, we don't really need to worry, do we, in the UK about these because they're being taken care of, do you think? The, the the majority of the population are now um, meeting guidelines for their intakes of trans fatty acids. Um, so it's recommended that they don't make up any more than 2% of total energy in the diet. And on average, the population are meeting that. And most, when you look at the different groups, most of us are meeting that. But there may still be subsections of the population that may be still exceeding that. And that's the thing. We can look at the population average and say, yeah, we're okay. But there may still be people who perhaps they're sourcing some of their foods that are made with um, fats and oils that come from outside the UK. Yes. Um, and that's a particular risk with um, fast food, uh, particularly fried food, because that's really sort of, we really have very little idea about what's in those foods. Um, and it's, 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 that information is just not available. Mm. So that's sort of an un- unknown. Um, so all I can recommend is that you don't consume too many <laughs> fast foods. It, it's, it's the, I think people must get so tired of hearing this phrase, it's everything in moderation, because moderation looks different to everyone. Mm. And um, we actually did an episode, it was a very different type of subject on fat shaming. And we were discussing, you know, it's all very well saying, uh, everything in moderation but how much cake is too much cake for me it, it's it's one of these difficult subjects for the general public but we have to say it because mm. it is your health at the end of the day that health professionals are trying to look out for yeah. and protect and one other buzzword that we have to discuss is well it was coconut oil <laughs> there was such a huge craze around yeah. coconut oil amazing wasn't it yeah <laughs> I, I don't think i'd ever seen anything like it um it's a saturated fat. Yeah, it's the highest of all the fats. It's got the highest proportion of saturated fatty acids. So what are your viewpoints on this craze? Why, why do you think people are hailing it as a healthy item over olive oil or rapeseed? Ever catch yourself eating the same flavourless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Um, I'm not really sure, but I just know that there's I suppose with the increasing popularity of social media and um, the access to everybody for um, saying what they like to eat, what they recommend, what their viewpoint is on health, then it becomes increasingly difficult for people to 
discern what's based on evidence-based science um, from the other noise. <laughs> yes, a lot of noise. Um, and some people are very good at shouting louder, I suppose. Um, so it just became this this misconception that it's healthy. But, you know, we, we know that if you have high amounts of coconut in, in, oil in your diet, it will raise your LDL cholesterol. And then over time, that will mean that you will get more fatty streaks in your arteries. And then over a, a lifetime, that will mean that you've got a higher risk of having a heart attack or some other um, cardiovascular event. I mean, it was, it was such a craze, Wendy, that I remember picking up a particular book about eliminating sugar from the diet and the author recommended um, having a spoonful of coconut oil when you're hungry so to stop you from eating, just spooning it out the jar. I mean, I can't imagine anything worse. But yeah, yeah. It, it was it was <laughs> unbelievable. This is when we must reiterate that as registered nutritionists and health professionals, you know, we will never be putting out extreme claims that are not backed up by science or research at all it's extremely worrying which who has allowed a voice out there really yes and it's also discerning what individuals say makes them feel good in the Mm. short term from from what we've um, observed in um, cohorts of people over decades or we've we we can observe over shorter periods of time in randomized controlled trials where we have a control group and an intervention group, and we can say for certain that that intervention has caused that outcome. Mm. Um, Which is why it's so different to what you said before about how observational studies are all very well, but mm. just watching something and looking at different trends compared to these randomised control trials, there's a, there's a big difference, isn't there, in the quality of evidence? Yes, and you know anybody with a mind to it can pick holes in any of the evidence because none of it is, um, you know... Absolutely. It's not like a drug. You know, diet is not a drug. No. Where you can give it's people not capsules. medicine. And you can have uh, huge effect sizes um, um, and prevent diseases like that. It's the, the trouble with studying diet and the pleasure of it is it's so complex and you've got multiple things to consider. And the more you control the other things, the less realistic it is and applicable to real life. And, and yeah. that's the problem that we have in, yeah. in, in uh, studying no. the effects of these things but we on the other hand we can be rational and we can say this food is the highest source of saturated fatty acids we have completely incontrovertible evidence that these fatty acids will raise LDL cholesterol and we know for certain that that will then increase risk of heart disease yeah I- I- exactly and there's a lot of talk and noise as well about omega-6 and omega-3 ratios And for anyone that is quite clued up on nutrition out there, I think um, this is something, again, that health professionals can differ on a little bit from what I've seen. Mm. I I would love to hear your your viewpoint and what you could recommend on the the ratio, meaning the amount of omega-3 we get compared to omega-6 in the diet. Well, I think it would be wrong to suggest that we should be limiting um, either of those types of fatty acids um, because they're both essential for health and yep. um, the body needs them and um, if anything we should be increasing those fatty acids to replace saturated fatty acids to keep the same sort of moderate fat intake. Um, the whole ratio thing was based on <clears throat> some people's uh, hypothesis 
that high levels of the N, uh, the omega-6 PUFA in the diet, linoleic acid, could be pro-inflammatory. Yes. Because that is converted to another fatty acid, arachidonic acid, which is then converted on to pro-inflammatory lipid messengers. Um, however, there's absolutely no evidence in the literature from all the studies that have been done that um, linoleic acid has any adverse effects. Um, it, all the evidence shows that the more intake of linoleic acid, the lower the blood pressure, for example, um, and the reduced risk mm. of coronary heart disease. So we, sh we shouldn't be worrying about the ratio, but no. we do need to think about having enough omega-3 poofers in the diet. That's a better way of looking at it. And again, a perfect example of what happens when you cherry pick research and things get blown out of proportion. Yeah. Um, and what about for people that are plant-based eaters? So let's give some examples as well of so omega-3 foods and omega-6 foods. Mm. So um, um, plant-derived omega-3 foods, um, so they're rich in alpha-linolenic acid, Basically, the biggest sources are um, linseed, and I mean the most concentrated sources are linseed or flaxseed oil mm. um, or yeah. flaxseeds. But you know, I, I admit we don't really consume that. It's not a staple of of many people's diets. It's not one you want to really cook with either, is it? It's more no. of a drizzler. Yes. Mm. Um, also, nuts, particularly walnuts, are very rich in in, in this fatty acid. But Generally, if you use um, oils like rapeseed oil, you're also getting alpha-linolenic acid and any foods that contain that. So some, for example, plant um, oil-based spreads will contain alpha-linolenic yeah. acid as well. Yeah, and I often recommend if you are perhaps even from plant-based to vegan, if you are completely eliminating all sources, maybe you'd want to look at a DHA supplement. Yeah, I mean, it's not part of... Um, Dietary guidelines, but no. you mean if you're vegetarian or vegan? Well, mainly um, vegan, I would say. I think vegetarian yeah. is... So vegetarians can get, um, can get some more. EPA and DHA to a small extent from milk Dairy. and eggs. Yeah. yeah, they do contain a small amount. And actually, when you look at the omega-3 status, so the, the best way to look at tissue stores that we have available at the moment is to look at red cells, red blood cells, and you look at the amount of fatty acids in their membrane. Um, and vegans, uh, vegetarians are not that much lower than omnivores, to be honest, because a lot of omnivores don't eat much fish. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> true, true. Um, in fact, yeah, fish intakes are much lower than, than what is recommended. Yeah, that's a struggle in the UK at the moment, which yeah. is also a struggle considering the conversations around sustainability in the environment right now. Yeah, and that is such an important issue. And also with lots of other foods we're recommending, like nuts, for example. Yeah. Um, it's... it's uh, it's a very difficult issue about how you switch over land for different uses. And how do you and... keep health status high when you're trying to equally protect and reduce the consumption of these items? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so th well, those are some plant-based sources. Where were we going? Yes, yeah. yeah, so plant-based sources. So that was so, omega-3s. Yeah. Um, and then obviously oily fish is your best source of EPA and DHA. Yes. And then omega-6 um, polyunsaturated fatty acids um, it's basically, um, well, the concentrated sources are things like some sunflower seeds. Yeah. So um, if you use sunflower oil, then you'll be getting lots of um, linoleic acid, which is the main 
uh, omega-6. But again, we don't want to encourage cooking too much with sunflower oil compared to perhaps the other alternatives. Yeah, I mean, rapeseed oil is is also high in uh, oleic acid. Right. Um, In fact, it's very high in oleic acid, and that's very good for cooking with. Um, And the the risk with uh, omega-6 PUFA that some people point out is if you're cooking at very high temperatures, it can oxidise very quickly. Um, So um, an oil that is higher in oleic acid, a monounsaturated fatty acid, might be better Mm. for that purposes. Um, but I think having a mixture, um, olive oil is also very good to use. Yeah, and, um, I think oils are something actually that are very confusing and people are so bombarded in the media with you shouldn't cook with this, you should cook with that. But actually, mm. if we just talk about just try and eat more nuts, seeds, lovely, healthy, fatty things in moderation and mm. stick with your olive oil or rapeseed predominantly. Yeah maybe a little bit of coconut oil, depending on what type of food you're making. Because I, mm. I do quite like coconut oil in a Thai curry or something. It's quite... Yeah, and that's for a culinary that. purpose. Exactly. So, you know, that's fine, isn't so it? So it's, de- it's definitely all in moderation, isn't it? Now, mm. we have lots of questions from our listeners here, um, but I might have to actually go in and take one for myself because mm. the last time I saw you, Wendy, we were at a you know, nutritional information day with the California Board of Almonds. Mm. And you were working on some research uh, to do with the benefits of having nuts like almonds. Yes. I mean, did yeah. you have any findings from that? Yeah, we've just completed the trial and, and we reported it about a month ago at the European Nutrition Conference in Dublin. Yes, I was there. Oh, were you? I okay. was. <laughs> it was a good conference. Yeah. Um, and, um, yeah, we've, we reported that um, we recruited people who said that they were snackers so they they snacked at least two times a day and they were at moderate risk of cardiovascular disease and we got them to replace their usual snacks with either our control snacks which mimicked the average profile of a UK snack or almonds so they consumed almonds at a set percentage of their energy requirements about two three times a day and we found that the people that consumed the almonds had um, a increase in their vascular function. Mm-hmm. And it was a specific aspect of their vascular function. So we measured the, um, the dilation of the artery in the arm um, after a stimulus. And um, this showed that um, there was a better dilation after the almonds compared to the control. And this means that the lining of the artery, so the cells that line the artery, called the endothelial cells are functioning better great and this is important because the endothelium is key for the initiating stages of atherosclerosis yeah so arterial disease which is still our biggest killer in the uk is heart disease so we need to be really looking at all of this yeah and considering atherosclerosis actually starts in childhood and in adolescence and you can you can observe fatty streaks in 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 very young people then it just shows you how important it is to consider all these aspects of diet. I remember from, the right phrase from the beginning. furring up of the arteries we had on our cardiovascular because it starts from a young age and as you get older, all that furring up. So this is fascinating mm. research. Yeah, and almonds, of course, they are our source of healthy fats. They're high, very high in monounsaturated yeah. fats, um, but they're, they've also um, got other um, nutritional qualities that may also help, such as the high in fibre, mm. Um, they contain non-nutrient, biologically active components as well. 
um, that may be benefiting uh, vascular health. And um, it's and also the fact that they were replacing their habitual snacks. So obviously, yeah. it's not just what you put in, no, it's, it's what you're removing from the diet. What were you eating before? Always a good <laughs> question to have. Um, that's absolutely incredible. I think it just goes to show that diet, yeah, anyway, emerging research, which is yes. wonderful to hear. So a question from Hannah, because I can't take up all the time myself, as much as I wish I could. Uh, she said a Daily Mail article said that butter's much better than margarine. Is this true? Much better for heart health? Well, there's no specification there. Probably okay. a typical article that we'd see in the paper. <laughs> so, I mean, my opinion is if you do enjoy butter, then um, if the rest of your diet is healthy, then you don't need to completely cut out butter. Yeah. But that's it's not one rule for all. For example, if you're somebody... Um, who is uh, in later middle age, you've been to your GP and they said you've got high LDL cholesterol, um, you could try and bring it down by diet, then you would try and remove... The, the best thing to do is not consume the butter anymore and to swap to um, a, a spread that's higher in polyunsaturated and monounsaturated fatty acids. Yeah, no, good, ad- good advice because there's no one-size-fits-all ever, is there really? No, and and just don't try and... Ha- don't have too much butter try and just yeah this is when thinly. That, that knife <laughs> spread gets a bit thicker each time um <laughs> katie has said i'm very confused what is worse for me sugar or fat i just don't seem to understand i can't find any low fat sugar-free products so you need both of them for energy they are if you take those away you've only got protein left oh dear um so um well in terms of carbohydrate and fat obviously sugar um, is um, a carbohydrate and some of the sugar we eat is intrinsic to the food so fruit um, has sugar in it even vegetables have some sugar in it um, whole grains have um, starch in them and those things are um, good sources because um, they are released slowly and they contain lots of other nutrients mm. as well um, so um, in terms of sugar we just need to limit our intake. The recommended intake is actually quite low now and it's ch- it changed a few years ago and it's actually that you shouldn't consume more than 5% of your energy as um, free sugars. Yeah, it's, so, we have it again. I'm going to mm. refer you all to the episode we have with Cawther from Action on Sugar on the sugar regulation in the UK because it, it's confusing. Mm. I think extrinsic sugars, free sugars, it's all there are all these different yeah. terms now. I mean, milk has sugar in, exactly. but it's lactose. It's not counted in that free no. sugars category. Yeah. So it all gets a bit confusing. And another confusing one, Wendy, Hannah has said, and this is a question that I'm sure you get asked a lot as well, with eggs being high in fat and cholesterol, how many should we eat daily? Um, well, I mean, they are, high in, they are higher in dietary cholesterol than other foods, um, but the amount of cholesterol in them is uh, very small compared to the total body pool of cholesterol. Mm. So um, it's... In most cases, it's not going to make any difference to your body levels of cholesterol if you eat one or two eggs a day. 
Yeah, I agree. Mm. I, I think eggs are often seen in a poor light, whereas actually they're such a nutritious and affordable um, dietary source for so many people. Yeah, particularly if you're vegetarian as well. Yeah, um, and you eat eggs. It's, it's the yeah. perfect um, yeah. protein source as well. Lots of mm. good things in eggs there as well. And that does move me on, Wendy, to <laughs> the what I think is the funnest part of the podcast, which is our fact or fiction round. Are you ready for this? Yes, I think so. <laughs> it's a bit of a wake up on the morning today. So if you could answer fact or fiction to the following. Mm. It's not always easy as a scientist. Um, saturated fat causes weight gain. Fiction. Vegans need to supplement omega-3. Mm. You, that's you not... can't always say it. <laughs> that's not straightforward. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not straightforward, but maybe rewind to the bit where we discussed that. Um, if I was, I can say from a personal point of view, I, I'm a vegetarian. And when I was pregnant with my two daughters, I took DHA algal supplements. There you go. That's a very good fact mm. there. Um, reminding myself to take my supplements when I get home. Um, sugar contributes more to weight gain than fat. Mm. Um, fiction. High fat is considered 17.5 grams or more per 100 gram of food. High fat is considered 17. Fiction. Fats carry essential vitamins the body needs to thrive. Fact. It's healthier to eat egg whites than throw away the yolk. Fiction. I'm so glad you said that. <laughs> Reduced fat options are always the healthier choice. Fiction. Processed foods like ready meals are full of bad fat. Mm, fiction, usually. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree. I agree mm. there. Some are really good now. Mm. Coconut oil is the healthiest oil to use at home. Fiction. <laughs> A third of our energy should come from fat. Um, 35%. So, yes. <laughs> there we go. There we go. Thank you, Wendy. That was a brilliant fact or fiction round. They are never clear cut. It's just impossible no. in life, which goes to show again, nutrition is a science that is evolving. And that does nearly wrap up this episode. But as with every guest, we finish with a food for thought. So mine today would be that as we've discussed today, fats are pretty essential for a healthy lifestyle. And I encourage you all to look, though, at the portion sizes that you consume. I've said it about four times already. I'm going to say it one more time. The quality and the quantity of your diet can have a difference on your health. So overall, it's important to be more conscious of these things. But remember that fat on a whole as a macro does contain more calories per gram. So just be aware of all that kind of thing and that there are three kind of key types of fats, each unique in their chemical structure, which I think Wendy explained really well at the beginning with the structure, because hopefully that will help you go away and learn a lot more. Maybe you can look at a YouTube video if you want to go that extra mile and have this. some actually pretty good ones out there now that show the breakdown of fats and beginner learning sources. So saturated, unsaturated, and the one we thankfully, most of us don't need to worry about, trans fats. Most foods containing fat naturally contain a mixture of different types of fat. So it's kind of difficult to exclude one whole group altogether. Um, but please try and increase those good ones, your omega-3s, the poly and monounsaturated fatty acids. Now, Wendy, if you could leave our listeners today, if you had one take-home message that you could think of, um, your food for thought today, what would that be? It would be that 
um, we should need to get away from thinking about macronutrients separately as if we can control it because foods are complex mixtures and many foods that are considered the same foods can differ from the next food year by year depending on where the where it's from in the world there's so much complexity so we just need to think more about dietary patterns so I would encourage people to look at the Eat Well Guide, which is available on the um, NHS web pages. Very good NHS web pages. And that shows you that, you know, the majority of what you should be eating is fruits and vegetables plus um, non-refined starches, um, uh, whole grains, um, a variety of proteins. So not just meat and dairy, but thinking about plant-based proteins as well. Um, and um, and also, you know, really limiting the things that we know are high in sugar, are not nutrient dense. Um, just having them as treats because they're still important for pleasure. Yeah. Um, so thinking about dietary patterns, we know that the Mediterranean diet is um, a healthy dietary pattern, and it has been shown in the clinical trial to reduce cardiovascular events. Um, and we are in Northern Europe here but it's easily translatable to the foods that we have available in our supermarkets in the UK. Yeah, we're so lucky to have such access to food. Wendy, thank mm. you so, so much for sharing your wisdom, your knowledge. I know this is a very different kind of activity for you out of the day-to-day, -day, <laughs> so thank you so much for coming on Food for Thought. Thank you very much for having me. If you enjoyed this episode, you're going to absolutely love what's coming next week. So make sure you click subscribe to be the first to hear it. And please do, if you have the time, leave a five-star review. It does help this podcast get out there. We want to be able to reach more people, help more people, and maybe even perhaps reach higher highs in the charts. For more information about my Retrition Clinic books, healthy recipes, events, retreats, and so much more, please visit retrition.com. And you can always follow me at Retrition on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm.